0: Welcome to the Sewing Prosperity podcast with host Logan Duvall. This father of four is an Arkansas successful small business owner whose world was turned upside down with the cancer diagnosis of his then five year old son. As Napoleon Hill famously stated, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Come and join us on our journey to create a Blue Zone community with a focus on a holistic approach to anti-cancer, regenerative farming, and strengthening local economies.
1: Sowing prosperity is about a lifestyle. It's about so many different interconnected parts. And this interview with Joel Salatin is absolutely one of my favorites. He is one of my heroes and has been for a long time. Not only is he maybe the very first, most iconic regenerative farmer of all time, he is an amazing, amazing educator, marketer, entrepreneur that's building out the system. He is such a beautiful example through uh, just the philosophy, all the interconnected. He has a lot of knowledge on a lot of areas and has done such an amazing job articulating that and sharing that through his multiple best sellers. And these are one of my favorite things about having a podcast is being able to share somebody as incredible as Joel Salatin with you. I have been looking forward to this interview for a while, my friend. I don't know of all of the interviews we've done if anybody doesn't need an introduction (laughs) more than you. So uh, I'll I'll do the the 30 second, you know, uh, extremely brief. You are one of the absolute pioneers in the regenerative space, uh, building community, been outspoken, critiqued, uh, embraced the lunatic aspect uh, that you've been labeled. But uh, what you've done, I think if anybody objectively looks at it, it just kind of makes too much sense and uh, excited to to share share that wisdom with you. So, uh, you know, Joel, thank you for being here.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you.
1: So in uh, in prepping for visiting with you, one of the books that you recommended was the Excess ecstasy of a lunatic farmer and in there you did a quote and i want to pull it back up just so i don't misquote what you said uh localization is about being connected to the ecological umbilical so we are in arkansas we are one of the poorest states in the country we have one of the highest rates of chronic disease in the country uh the delta the river where the river is and eastern and southern Arkansas is just drying up. And, uh, you know, it, it's sad. And so when I think about that quote that you said, I see how relevant it is to Arkansas, how relevant it is to where we are. So can you elaborate, Joel, on first, I guess, you know, a little bit about what you do and why that quote means what it does?
0: Uh, well, thank you. Uh, well, I think. Well, I mean, what we do is we grow, uh, we grow beef, pork, chicken. We, we grow livestock on pasture without uh, without medications, without mRNA, without vaccines. Um, our 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 animals don't do drugs, <laughs> and uh, and and so uh, you know everything's on on pasture except for about a hundred days when the snow is flying in the dead of winter. Then we bring them into uh, housing on on a carbonaceous diaper with a lot of wood chips that we then compost and that becomes our our um, our fertilizer program uh, in the fields. We direct market everything, so we you know we have um, we have several urban drop points within about four hours that we that we um, uh, deliver to about once a month, and then we also ship nationwide and we also have an on farm store, and then we run uh, you know an, an apprentice and a stewardship program to germinate you know, new, new young people. To be able to uh, to start farming, so yeah, that that's kind of what we do. Um, so where this came from was um, I'm struck I'm struck by the by the just the kind of ubiquitous um, idea in our modern culture that we that we are not moored uh, anchored that that we actually are so clever. That we can um, <laughs> uh, kind of levitate over the planet like a like a Star Trek, um, you know, somebody, and 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 we're not dependent on the earthworm, we're not dependent on the actinomycetes or the weather around us. Somehow we can go into some sort of a TikTok universe uh, that that that's that's completely um, free, you know, freestanding and, and isn't moored to anything, and. And I see more and more of that, you know, in the culture as we become uh, disconnected from things. Well, uh, all this disconnection has been fueled by, um, by a messaging from, the, from the, corporate, the corporate food system saying, you don't have to know anything about food. You don't have to know anything about this. You know, you just let us do your Lunchables, let us do your Hot Pockets and your, you know, your squeezable Velveeta cheese. And uh, you don't even need a house with a kitchen you know who needs a kitchen I mean just just you know get uh, Lego my egos from us and and um, you know pop tarts and, and and we're all good and 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 so you know we, we've we, we've been we've been told that if you will just let us take care of you become more and more disconnected uh, you will have a more Uh, a a freer life to, to watch football, to, you know, um, go to the soccer game, to, you know, go to the theater or whatever, watch Netflix. Well, then here came these black swans, you know, uh, COVID and then Putin invades Ukraine. And then you've got, you know, uh, uh, all sorts of things start to break down and you got empty store shelves. And suddenly we all realized those of us who continued doing the mundane chores of life, we were actually the free ones and the ones who embraced the disconnected uh, dependence convenience idea were actually the enslaved ones, the dependent ones on uh, a a corporatocracy with a nefarious uh, agenda. And so I I think that that, that as we think about food security and stability, it starts by understanding that we are fundamentally dependent on, on the soil, on the humus. We're dependent on our place. And that means we've got to have knowledge of our place. We've got to know how to use it, what grows here, how to fix it in the kitchen, how to store it, how to inventory it so that we can have it during downtimes. Uh, when things aren't good, and and all of those things come into a recognition that ultimately the the stability of our of our landscape is a direct result of our our dependency and connection in, in our in our participation. Uh, That that as we participate, so think about an umbilical, I I like the term umbilical, you know, a a, a baby, whether it's a human or a calf or a cat, um, you know, uh, uh, if it severs its umbilical, it doesn't live very long, you know, it's gone. Okay. And and so for us, I like the word picture of me being attached with an umbilical to the, to the land, uh, uh, to the soil in which I live. And, and that helps to, um, to frame what I consider is valuable and important. And, and as soon as you start down this, this path, very soon you realize in the, in the big scheme of things, it's much more important that we have healthy earthworms, mycorrhizae, and actinomycetes than Wall Street, as important as Wall Street may be. We are fundamentally dependent on this invisible world of microbes and biology and chlorophyll and photosynthesis. Uh, we're fundamentally tied to it, uh, so we'd better we'd better learn to live to, to 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 like the way it operates, to learn how it operates, and to to embrace and and um, and connect uh, to it.
1: Beautiful. So when we look at the uh, complexities of what you just said, because <clears throat> there are so many rabbit trails, right, that we could go from what you just said. And so where. I am focused and coming from is, is honestly, it's the health side. So when, when my son was diagnosed with uh, cancer, we dove into why, like, uh, what, what do we do? How do we, how do we help him? How do we, you know, support the fighter in, in the ring? And as we did that, Joel, what I came to find, and, and then, you know, our, our mutual friend, Sally Fallon Morell, who I, I think is very, uh, Underappreciated for what what information she's putting out there, but what we found is that it's toxicity and it's nutrient deficiencies, and and those two aspects are so integral to the agriculture, right? Like based off of the the technocrat corporatization of agriculture versus what you just said with that umbilical to Mother Earth, and so one one thing that I was absolutely just kind of scratching my head and shocked at is when when I was looking at the landowners of Arkansas so the federal government is the largest landholder warehouser which is uh, you know they make paper and so they have pine tree plantations but number three was almost 50,000 acres of Arkansas farmland on navigable waterways was Bill Gates and so as I'm looking at why are corporations buying up all our Farmland and why is rural America dying, especially rural Arkansas, and the products that we're getting aren't not contributing to a better life. We we are glyphosate glyphosate uh, just embedded. It's everywhere, and we don't have the nutrient density because we have this like war on 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 meat and and whatever else is going on. How how do you contrast those two systems that we are? I mean in for lack of a better term, it's almost like it's at war with each other
0: yeah, and i I, I like uh, your your shirt there sewing prosperity, of course, I know that's the name of this uh, podcast, but but I, I'm going to riff on that just for a minute. I think that's a great jumping off point. Prosperity for who All prosperity of us. for who so so All of it, us. It, it, yeah and, and here's the thing. You want when you say sowing prosperity, you're thinking a, a, a democratized prosperity. You know, let 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 let's have it as much as for everybody prosperity, not just financially, but but in health, in in, in life, flourishing and vibrancy, happy marriages. I mean, you know, however you want to, all sorts of benchmarks you could put there. But um, I want you to think about I want you to think about Bill Gates. All right, you mentioned him. You mentioned him. So I'm gonna. He has made a very very public uh, point of saying that the only way for humanity to survive is to exterminate two thirds of the world's population. I, I may be off a little bit, but but two thirds is close enough. All right, it, it's way more than half. All right, maybe it's maybe it's three quarters, but let's just say two thirds. All right, I want you to think a minute. I want you to think a minute. What if you really believe that? If you really believe that, what could you ethically and morally justify? If you actually believed that to be the savior of humanity, you, you could only do it if you exterminated, it, exterminated two-thirds of the people. What could you ethically and morally justify doing? The answer is anything. There's nothing off the table. Now, I'm not a big conspiratist. I, I don't like all that conspiracy. I, I, I think rather than conspiracy... It's 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 um, it's what I'll even say I think Bill Gates is well-intentioned. I, I, I mean, I'll even go that far and say he's well-intentioned. All right. But. But, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and 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 the things that you can justify doing. Listen, you know, uh, 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 Tyson's, you know, they don't want to kill anybody they just want to raise cheap chickens and so when, and so when you have a cheap food policy you're going to make shortcuts you're going to make shortcuts on nutrition you're going to make shortcuts on on uh, pollution you're going to make shortcuts on animal animal welfare animal abuse. you're going to make shortcuts on on farmer farmer remuneration and and, and so so your objective your objective determines your, um, it it defines your, your action. In other words, your belief, your belief defines your protocol. And so if you believe that food should be extremely cheap, if you believe that there are too many people, if you believe that, that wellness comes out of a needle or a pill, if you believe that we are fundamentally sick and it takes a a pharmaceutical company to make you well, if you believe those things, then, then it moves you down to a, a certain place. I've just described a, you know, uh, four beliefs. My beliefs are completely different. Um, I believe that things are fundamentally well. And if they're not well, we probably made them sick. It wasn't because there were little nefarious, you know, sickness fairies out here, you know, uh, sprinkling um, um, uh, sickness woba dust down on us. Um, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's probably because we we um, upset some balance. We poison something. We, we did something to upset that apple cart. The, the, the default position of nature is homeostasis and, and flourishing and abundance. That's that's the that's the 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 um that that's the the that's where nature tends to move all right it doesn't move towards scarcity it moves toward abundance okay um and and so um so another another aspect is you know immunity immune systems um you know, immune systems should be robust. Uh, and if they're not robust, if, if my immune system is not robust, I probably did something to, you know, mess it up. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine if, um, if in in the summer of 2020, if Anthony Fauci had stepped to the microphone and said, hey, hey, listen, America, I, I, I got an idea. I got an idea. We're going to do a one month experiment. Here's what we're going to do for one month. We're going to try an experiment. Um, we're going to see if we can build up our immune system. So here's what we're going to do. Number one, nobody drink any Coca-Cola, Mountain Dew, or Dr. Pepper for a month. We're not, we're not going to drink any uh, high fructose corn syrup soft drinks. Number two, we're all going to cook from scratch for a month. No Lunchables, no Hot Pockets, no Pillsbury, you know, bakery goods. We're, we're all going to cook from scratch for a month um uh we're not getting enough sleep so everybody's gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna not gonna watch the late tv show we're gonna go to bed and we're gonna sleep for eight hours uh every night for for 30 days um you know we're all dehydrated so we're all gonna drink you know a gallon of water every day just just drink water uh every day get 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 your you know get yourself uh hydrated back up um uh, what else? Oh, okay. Uh, laughter doth good like a medicine. So you know what? Um, if you're going to watch one hour of, of news, that's that's a Debbie Downer news. Then every hour of news you watch, you have to offset it with two hours of pure comedy. So so if you're going to watch the news for an hour, you got to laugh for two hours. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna laugh. Oh, uh, and vitamin D. Vitamin D is really big. So you're going to get out in the sun for 20 minutes a day. We're all going to get out in the sun for 20 minutes a day. Get vitamin D. And, and, oh, the best way to reduce toxins is to sweat. So we're going to sweat for 20 minutes a day. I don't care whether you run, jog, do jumping jacks, yoga, whatever you do, we're going to sweat for 20 minutes a day, sweat those toxins right out of your body. And then, um, and then oh, I got one more thing, one more thing. The number one um, uh, attack on the immune system is stress, is stress. That generally comes from relational, relational problems. So I want you to, everybody to make a list, make a list of all the people that you hate, that, you you know, that that, that have done you wrong, that have messed up your, been unfair to you, unjust. Make that list and then forgive them. Just, just forgive them. Forgive them all, you know, That, that they didn't mean to hurt you. They didn't mean, you know, they just, just forgive them. America, let's try that for one month. Let's see what happens. I mean, can you imagine what would have happened? Um, and, and so that, I hope I've, I hope I've presented two, the, the two opposing views here of, of one, one is primarily, uh, you know, life is broken and we've got to fix it. The other one is life is fundamentally okay. And if it's broken, we probably broke it. One is uh, things are, are primarily uh, abundant. And if they're scarce, we probably made them scarce. So, so how do we get back into that abundance mode? Uh, the other, you know, we, we are fundamentally well. And if we're sick, uh, probably something happened in us, around us, by us, near us, that, that that broke down that wellness. You know, those are fundamentally, uh, opposing paradigms and worldviews.
1: Perfect. I think that's exactly what what we are trying to get with uh, get at with sowing prosperity. It's a lifestyle. It is more of of doing what you said holistically and bringing it all together. And so on that localization, the localism aspect, what we find is a major disconnect. And and I find it more so in Arkansas being rural. That uh, you know we have listened to our chemical companies, our seed companies, and uh, the commodity markets on dictating how we participate in agriculture. And so when we have these discussions, like, I I mean, Joe, y'all have been doing this, you know, decades and decades. This is a new concept. For anybody that is, I guess, uh, post-1935, right? Like, before that, this is the way that that things were done. But now it's so foreign that we're having to almost re-educate an entire populace on which system we want to support and which system we want to grow in. So I said all that to say how— you have vertically integrated and operation is incredible. And uh, I wish we had unlimited time to just keep diving in and diving in. But how do you see areas, communities that don't have the infrastructure that you've done in, in you know, the Shenandoah Valley in other places? So what we're doing is we're trying to do that. But I would love your, your perception and your wisdom on how you would do it if you were going into a new area
0: uh yeah thats that's such a such an interesting uh, uh, thread concept uh so so you know here let me just let me just boil down kind of what we do uh to about to about four or five basic principles because they are applicable everywhere in the world. The first one is nature runs fundamentally on carbon it doesn't run on chemicals it runs on carbon it's all about Plants that take in solar energy make biomass material, and then it either decomposes or it gets ingested through an animal and pooped out. But but basically, you're using solar; it's sun-driven in, into um, into the system that then decomposes and 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 builds more soil to grow more plants to take more solar energy to grow more soil. You know, and and, and it's a it's a synergistic system. So it's carbon it's carbon oriented so on our farm for example we don't buy any chemical fertilizer haven't bought any for you know ever since we've been here since 1961 so we're 60 62 years uh you know chemical free but what we do have is a great big industrial chipper and we go to the woods fence lines different you know and we weed the woods the, the forests are all um, weedy. they're all they got crookeds and junk and dead and all that stuff in them. And so we go in and we, we, we do timber stand improvement kind of work, chip that up and that chip then becomes those chips then become the carbonaceous diaper for the chickens and the pigs and the cows. When they're in the winter uh, uh, becomes a, di- a diaper that we then uh, compost with pigs. pigs uh, turn it around, turn it all up, aerate it. And that becomes the compost for the fields. Um, the the point The point is that when Putin invaded Ukraine and fertilizer jumped 400 percent and all the farmers said, oh, no, what are we going to do? The You know, we're, we can't afford any fertilizer anymore. We just looked at that and said it didn't affect us at all. It, it, not at all. We, we don't buy any of it. So that's the kind of freedom. That's the kind of freedom I'm talking about is... Is to um, it, 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 that happens when you go with systems and in Arkansas, if, if if every if every dime spent on chemical fertilizer were spent on carbon, you'd have you'd have hundreds or thousands of little three four five person crews out um, cleaning up woodlots, cleaning up fence rows and stuff, chipping, and, and that would become the compost program. That then you would you know that you would. Um, feedback to the soil and guess what? Then you'd grow earthworms, you'd increase organic matter. We've increased we've increased our soil organic matter here from one percent in nineteen sixty one to today, eight percent. Well every one percent increase in soil organic matter holds twenty thousand gallons of water per acre. So we've gone seven clicks, seven times 140,000 gallons of water that we can hold per acre that we couldn't. You talked about the drying up of the river. The th- reason things are drying up is because there's no organic matter in the soil to hold it. The soil has become like a brick instead of a chocolate cake. What we want is soil that's like a chocolate cake that's fluffy and and, and that has that has uh, uh, organic matter in it that that's that's spongy. Okay, and and and, um, and, and so. So uh, nature is fundamentally carbon oriented. Uh, number two, number two, uh, animals are not in buildings in nature. Animals are outside, but they but but they're not just outside standing around. They're moving, mobbing or flocking, and and mowing or pruning or digesting. But 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 the the point is they are moving, and so we now have electric fence that we can move animals around for the first time in large flocks and herds with tremendous control and very very cheaply and we can move these animals so we move the cows every day we move the chickens every day we move this stuff every day around but it but it's um uh, and and that fresh ground that fresh movement eliminates all the pathogens and the and we don't have to halt we don't have to haul the manure the animals self-fertilize they self-mow they self-prune and um and and we don't have to buy any drugs So you know that 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 fundamentally changes things, Um, and obviously that can be done in Arkansas as well. There's plenty of land, you know, and plenty of hillsides and plenty of pastures, you know, to to run these animals in, and um, and and then the the next uh, another aspect becomes water. Fortunately, we have a thing called water water pipe today, cheap plastic, you know, uh, polyethylene uh, water pipe. So we've You know, we've built permaculture-style ponds up on high ground that we gravity feed down. We have, you know, we have 12 miles of buried water line all over the farm that delivers pressure, gravity-fed pressure water on every, you know, acre uh, of the farm. And so this wasn't all done in a day. It's been done over time. But my point is, instead of driving fancy pickup trucks and all that, uh, you know, we, 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 we can do that. And... And then we, you know, we move we move the cattle around. We move them uh, every day to a fresh paddock in our county. The average cow days per acre is eighty. In other words, the average acre will feed eighty cows for one day a year, or one cow for eighty days a year. Cow day is what one cow will eat in a day. We average four hundred cow days per acre. We've never planted a seed or bought a bag of chemical fertilizer in sixty years. I'm not bragging. I'm 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 humbly paying homage to this. Yeah, realize, look. You got to realize, Logan. Five hundred years ago, North America produced more food than it does today. Now, it wasn't all eaten by people. You know, we had we had a couple hundred million bison. We had uh, two million wolves that needed twenty pounds of meat a day. We had two hundred million beavers that ate more vegetables than all the humans in North America today. We had uh, we had flocks of passenger pigeons that flew over um, flew over Audubon. He recorded in his diary. He said he said. Uh, uh, the flock of birds flew over me i couldn't see the sun for three days for the flock of birds that 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 blotted out the sun so there was tremendous tremendous uh production here before john deere plows hybrid seeds and tyson uh and walmart came along and, and so so uh the point is to to appreciate what was that template and and animals moved they weren't put in buildings they weren't confined in a field. They they move so we now have electric fence we can move them and finally I'll just say I'll just say that that nature um, when we look at nature's template it's it's very relationally oriented it's complex you don't see single species you don't you don't see you know uh, uh, a piece of, a, a farmer that says I grow apples or one that says I grow chickens or one that says I grow corn or one that says I grow cotton no. Um, you see an integration of plants and animals multi-speciation, not monospeciation. And that multi-speciation creates the symbiosis and the synergies to not only increase abundance, but also to confuse pathogens and diseases to so that you don't have those those kinds of, of problems. And the last one I'll just say is that that staples staples did not get moved very far very far now now from antiquity we've had the spice trade we've had the salt wars you know there there've been things that 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 you know that everybody couldn't produce but generally throughout history the 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 main the main part of any diet was produced locally it was produced outside your outside your door and uh, and were, were there were there treats absolutely there were yeah there were certainly treats to to be enjoyed but um but but you had you had a uh, you know 90 percent of what everybody ate was produced you know uh, um uh, nearby and so so we we supply you know local and i say arkansas well it's not heavily populated there aren't a lot of people there um yeah, but think about think about what could be grown there if that's not I mean just go go down to the supermarket and see what's imported from Mexico or brought in from you know Chile and Peru that could be grown there. Berries, strawberries, blackberries, um, you know all there's a lot of food that can be grown locally that doesn't have to be imported from someplace else right now. This is the first time this has happened in, his, in in American history. Right now, one in five mouthfuls of food that Americans eat, one in five comes from a foreign country. And, wow. and, and And we're a land of plenty. We're a land of plenty. There is no reason why one in five mouthfuls of food in America should come from a foreign country.
1: Yeah. So as... <laughs> Yeah, the two things that really stand out to me is so like I, I, I own a farmer's market. So the aggregation and distribution retail side of uh, food system is, is what I spend my day to day on. And uh, when COVID hit, the amount of uh, influx of, of people that I mean, they were scared. They were they were trying to source whatever they could. We could not stock enough stuff. And we partnered with multiple farmers and sold out almost everything that they had. Um, and it, it just showed me that when we shifted a little bit of that buying focus, that buying power towards the local, it had a more uh, localized impact, right? Right. Uh, The other side of that is, uh, you know, we we do have seasons and we do have this constantly wanting something. Uh, I don't know what the answer is here, but, you know, everybody, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people want strawberries every day, right? Like, and and we just, in Arkansas, we have strawberries in the spring and we might, might have a fall crop. uh, And it would be substantially smaller than what that spring crop is. But uh, where, where do... In your experience, because because Joel, it's my understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong. You have the farm where meat is, you know, pr- the primary thing. Which I've one of the, I guess, probably one of the fewer health people that are very pro uh, meat based diet, uh, even even to the extreme mm-hmm. at times. But. Uh, mm-hmm. You have the farm. You have the processing. You have the internal aggregation, and also that distribution component where you're working with your own store, uh, the drop-off points, and then restaurants. So where where can we take some of those lessons of that system, and then start maybe uh, bringing bringing some people together for for kind of a uh, I get lord I, I I might sound like a socialist here What we how, how do we come together because I I have seen co-ops fail over and over and over and over but the idea behind bringing people together for a common theme seems to be very positive right Yeah
0: yeah yeah it does and um yeah probably probably the biggest um whatever you know mistake i made in doing media interviews 30 years ago was people would say well where do you see the food system in 30 years This is when the nascent local food system was just kind of starting i said oh my in 30 years you know everybody's going to be cooking from scratch they're all going to be buying from their local farmer and you know blah 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 well i i i, I was 180 degrees wrong you know I, I couldn't have been more wrong what's happened is now we've got hot pockets and Lunchables. And we've got convenience organic. We've got, um, you know, we've got hydro, even hydroponic organic, no, soilless organic. Um, and, and the whole thing is just, you know, has broken down to where, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I've been in this long enough to remember when you couldn't go to the supermarket and get a boneless, skinless breast on chicken. You, you couldn't buy it. You had, if you want a boneless, skinless breast, you got a whole chicken. You took it home, you took a knife and a cutting board and you whacked out the breast and then you cooked boneless, skinless breast. Today, half of our customers don't even know a chicken has bones. I mean, they, they, they literally, you know, they, they think we go out to the like the boneless, skinless breast tree and pick off, you know, uh, chicken breasts, I guess, like apples. Uh, <laughs> that'd be a, quite a tree, wouldn't it? So so um, what I'm saying is 30 years ago, those of us that were in the front of this movement thought, yeah, yeah, man, the momentum's going to build and people are really going to, you know, get in touch with their food and in fact the opposite has happened and so um so how do you uh, so so where do you go from here and so i've definitely come to the conclusion since most farmers are not marketers very few farmers are marketers uh what we have to deal with is is what i call food clusters so food clusters think about think about a group of of 10 or 12 farmers getting together in an area um one one is in livestock, one's in orchard. One, it, it, you know, it, I don't want this to sound like it's segregated, but but um, generally, yeah. You know, I, I I I want the berry farmer to have a few chickens, you know, just to eat junk berries and and scratch bugs out. All right, but um, but 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 if if a neighbor has has uh, broilers, and another neighbor has uh uh, is growing um uh corn for example well the if 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 the corn ground goes into three or four years of pasture in between which is what you need to do to actually rest the ground well then the the guy raising the chickens could run his chickens on the you know on on the pasture between, and then the corn guy can raise his corn every third year or fourth year, and doesn't have to use any fertilizer because the neighbor ran his chickens on his place to get it fertilized. And, and now you've got you've got corn, you've got chickens, you've got strawberries, and basically you make you make a, a food cluster. Um, and and um, I, I have no idea how to how to make it work. I can tell you that on our farm now we. We we collaborate now with about twelve other uh, food crafters in the area. One's a, a sourdough, a sourdough um, a gal that makes um, that makes you know cinnamon rolls to die for, frozen. All you gotta do is pop them in the oven. Uh, but she makes them from scratch, from local, you know, like like um, you know, mill stone ground uh, uh, wheat. Um, uh, we we collaborate with with a, a, a dairy farmer. Um, to sell his um, milk and cheese and chocolate milk, chocolate milk to die for. We work with, um, another gal that makes, uh, that takes our, our fat, our pork fat, beef fat and makes cosmetics, you know, uh, chapstick and, and, and hand cream and stuff out of the cosmetics. Uh, a honey, honey outfit that we sell their honey, uh, maple outfit. We sell their maple syrup, maple, uh, yeah. Maple syrup. Um, what else? We've got uh, kombucha. We've got a, a couple of artisans that make kombucha. So we've got kombucha on tap and by the bottle. Uh, ferments. We've got a little outfit that makes all sorts of ferments. Kimchi and sauerkraut and all sorts of stuff. So we've got that. My, my point is that you can, you can eat out of our store. We don't have to produce it all, but we've got a food cluster. We've got a food cluster where somebody can buy and basically come and get 90 percent you can't buy toilet paper you can't buy diapers okay but you can but 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 you can get uh i mean we we even sell uh uh, real salt from redmond you know redmond salt we we have that in Shaker, so you can get your salt there as well um and and so you know we've we we've gone out our way to try to, to collaborate and and encourage folks um we we and you know, right this this summer we finally got a nice collaboration with a local uh, vegetable producer. We grow vegetables, but but just mainly for us to eat, and and so th- this was a lady that that's got a produce outfit, and we've added her to our portfolio, and and essentially what you want to do is 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 create a a, a regional food cluster of people. Um, one one guy that that's done a pretty interesting thing. Um, Mark Lilly has the has the uh, uh, a portable uh food truck, farm to table, and um and, and he, he he bought a he bought a, a school bus and basically turned it into an old general store. He works with about thirty farmers and he goes into the urban sector, uses social media to post his schedule. I'll be at the um uh you know I'll be at the AT and T Tower at one o'clock on Tuesday. I'll be at the um You know, at the at the Citibank Tower uh, at four o'clock on Wednesday. All right, and he's got his date, and you you can literally live off of that truck. Guess what? You come out your lunch hour or whatever, and you buy, and you don't even have to stop at Walmart on your way home. You don't have to go anywhere. You you just you got your groceries at your work, and you and you just go home with them. And so there are there are all sorts of of uh, innovations right now in this space because what's happened is. That the, the the price of um, of cash registers and brick and mortar stationary retail interfaces has gotten extremely expensive and um, and, and in fact farmers markets tend to be very expensive because um, you know it's a it, it, it's it's not generally in the place where everybody goes and um, it's got a destination place a lot of times these cities that start farmers markets they're they start them in the armpit of the city to try to do a you know a urban revitalization. Well, you know we're, we you need to have a farmers market it's on the, on the parking lot of Walmart and the parking lot at Costco. That's where the farmers market bit needs to be because that's where everybody's going. That's where all the traffic is. And so, um, uh, and, and and you know no no uh, no offense to you you know we don't participate in any farmers markets. We have found them to be very very um, inefficient at actual. You know, transferring of a lot, of, a lot of material, and uh, so anyway, um, you know, uh, I, I do have, I do have about five principles for very successful farmers markets. One is that it has to be inside, so it's all year. People don't, I mean, you know, the inertia that stops when people, when the farmers market stops in the in the in the winter picks back up in the spring, where do all these people go in the winter? Well they go back in the supermarket. Now you gotta try to woo them all back in the spring. So the only way to really have a viable farmers market, in my opinion, is to be under roof inside year round. And you need to let people sell other people's stuff. Now I'm not talking about just, you know, willy nilly reselling, but goodness, if there's if there's four farmers that live near each other, why do all four of them have to go running in there with their little trunk full of stuff? Let them amalgamate it and and the one guy that's got the gift of gab and has some marketing, you know, savvy and schmoozy, he goes in there. So the other three guys that don't like people, they're hermit curmudgeons. They don't have to sit there with a scowl on their face, you know. And um, their newspaper, uh, you know. All this- while these people come by
1: there's two big differences in in the the farmer's market when when i'm talking about it i call what we have like the open source which is what you're explaining and i agree with you wholeheartedly i see them pop up and die over and over and over and what we've got is more of it's a grocery store right It it, it is an outdoor grocery store but we uh have embraced the farmer's market because it's a much more you know popular marketing uh term so one thing I want to, before we wrap up, feather out that you you said was pretty much, uh, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, get creative. Like, don't sit back and complain and wait on the consumer to change. How do we reach them through uh, convenience, through going out, through embracing the uh, marketing, right? Like, and that's where we have found the partnering with farmers. Let us take on the retail responsibility. Let us take on the marketing responsibility, and you all do what you do because that uh, specialization in the food cluster uh matters a lot because there's some people that aren't going to grow okra, but they can do a heck of a job on heirloom tomatoes uh or or they have a livestock specialty yeah, so yeah absolutely. get get creative, get creative
0: yeah uh, I, I i couldn't i couldn't agree more um, you, you have to get creative and you have to recognize. Uh, where your weaknesses and strengths are, and, um, and the the que- the question is, how hard is it? If, if you're a farmer, ask yourself this question: How hard is it for 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 me to buy for me? If I wanted to buy for me, how hard is it? And uh, and and I think that's a question because what we got to do is break down hurdles, and, and you'd be surprised how many hurdles there are. I mean, we this is why we're now shipping nationwide is because several years ago we started hearing people say well, you live on a dirt road I, I don't want to put my car on a dirt road i might get a, a rock ding in my car i'm never going to put on a dirt road we never heard that 30 years ago nobody cared about that kind of thing of 30 years ago now that's where we are and so um uh you know cutting up chickens we didn't want to cut up chickens for years we uh, um I, I don't know uh logan if you've ever um like pulled a pulled a calf across the corral uh with a with a rope and he's all locked up, you know, and you're kinda trying, trying to pull this calf along and Aah! Well that's the way we came to cut up chickens. Look, I raised the thing, I butchered the thing, it doesn't have any drugs in it. It tastes great, it's nutrient dense, you know, coming by your chicken. Well I I I only eat boneless breasts or I don't want to cut it. I don't know how to cut it. And and so we're coming up with it like they're they're dragging us in. Finally one year we decided, okay, well, let's cut up chicken. The year we started cutting up chicken, we sold twenty thousand dollars more in chicken without raising a single extra chicken. That was the value of value adding, and and listening to the customer and meeting the customer where they were. It's not my position to judge you. I I can't tell you're 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 a, okay. You're ignorant. All right, I get it. Well, it doesn't help the relationship for me to say. You shouldn't be ignorant. What I need to do is I need I need to to come and meet and become the food coach, the health coach, the the localization coach to bring them along. If I if I go to them and say, "Well, you're stupid. You should have known better." Oh, that's going to get me a lot of customers, isn't it? Um, but 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 what I, what I need to do is say, "I get it. I get it." The the best marketing campaign we ever did, Logan, was one year about ten years ago. It struck me. We need to really encourage folks to stock their stock their pantry. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I I don't want our customers to be you know one week from starvation if something happens. All right, and, and so. So we, we introduced them to the concept of the larder, which you know the term, I'm sure, larder. We don't even use it today. But, but you know, 100 years ago, if I came to your town in Arkansas and said, where's the food? It wouldn't be at Costco. It wouldn't be in a warehouse. It'd be in everybody's larder, you know, a glorified pantry, all right? So I said, said, look, everybody, let's all let's all commit ourselves to building a larder. I know you don't know how to do it, so I'm going to help you. The way I'm going to help you is I'm going to give you a discount for bulk buying. So if you buy ten chickens, it's gonna be this price. If you buy any less than ten, it's gonna be this price. And we and we we incentivized, we encouraged people to to load up freezers, to to buy quarters of beef, to buy halves of pork, to buy ten chickens at a time. It was the best marketing thing we ever did. And people, people literally, they never thought, how, how do I how do I stockpile a food inventory? how do i how do i get the freedom that, that food that a food inventory gives me and 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 that that is is mental prosperity you know the average city right now only has 3 days worth of groceries in it 3 days so if something happens blizzard teamster strike war you know hurricane whatever 3 days you're out of food and, and that, that's just ridiculous. I mean, Dave Ramsey talks about having six months of emergency financial, you know, money. Well, you should have six months worth of food. And when those, when those grocery store shelves went, went empty in the spring of 2020, I just kept going to the basement and bringing up our canned stuff. You know, Teresa bring me up some green beans, bring me up some more applesauce, you know. And that is freedom because we're participating in the system. And I think I think that that's the if we want to really tie those threads together, I'll tie it together with the beginning of the program where we were talking about localization and your ecological umbilical. That at the end of the day, true freedom and emotional and mental prosperity come from participating. You you can't sit on the bleachers. And, and and prosper sitting on the bleachers. You got to get in the game. You 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 got to get in and participate. And the participation is how you ultimately have freedom to to, to do, which is the ultimate freedom to prosper uh, and flourish. Is is the freedom freedom to do.
1: I think you wrapped it up. Phenomenally, I think the what set you apart and why you have been so successful is you are truly a genuine educator. And so, like I cannot recommend your books and and all the podcasts you do enough. And just uh, you know, thank you, Joel, for taking the time to sit down with us and share that wisdom. I think that we have so many lessons uh in here we've got uh, what we call the Sewing prosperity institute and so we take these videos and dive it in we got chris back here he's been listening to the whole thing and uh it's going to be such a beautiful resource from somebody that's actually done it and so joel thank you again my friend
0: well thank you logan thanks for having me on appreciate it
1: thank you for listening to the Sewing prosperity podcast We hope that you have learned something new and that you are inspired to adopt regenerative practices in your community. Remember that by working together, we can create a sustainable and abundant future for ourselves and for future generations.